Hey, before we start the show, I'd like to give a shout out to one of our sponsors, Hackbright Academy. Hackbright Academy is an all-women coding boot camp in San Francisco. They were founded with the mission to provide women with a personalized path to a software engineering career. One of the most impressive things about the school is the tight-knit community they've created. They truly believe in empowering each other and working to change the ratio of women in the tech industry. Hackbright firmly believes that when you combine a community of like-minded, ambitious women and a network of strong support, the possibilities are endless. Check out their programs at hackbrightacademy.com. We essentially want to be the communications platform that kids run to. If you, if you, you know, hunker down and you build something that, that you would like, your first version is going to suck because you haven't listened to what people actually want to do. First hires are, are crucial and culture as well. If we want to grow in platforms and in audience, we have to design for that. I've tried very, very hard not to work for anyone. I was trying to uh, not like hate the thing that I loved. This is Code Story, a podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry and build and lead a team that has your back. I'm your host, Noah Laphart, and today, how Alvaro Sabido developed a way for kids to have story time on a video call with grandma. All this and more on Code Story. A born creative, Alvaro Sabido loves to travel and continuously be learning. His engineering background led him to love anything with an engine. And having worked in a diverse set of companies through consulting, IT, radio, and media, he became a natural problem solver, interested in innovating to make things better. When seeing a picture of someone in the military holding a book up to a webcam, attempting to read to their child back home, he set out to create a solution to integrate video chat and a children's book and what would eventually be called Caribou. Tell me about you outside of being involved in tech. What do you do outside of being a CTO? Yeah, so I'm, I'm an engineer, I guess, by study, and that, that actually translates to a lot of my, my hobbies and passions. Pretty much on the passion side, if, if it has an engine and it goes fast, I'm into it. One of the coolest things I've done is you know, I found a, an old racing motorcycle that my grandfather used to have in a barn and took it apart, cleaned it, built it back together. I don't necessarily have a, um, a mechanical engineering degree, but it's just it's just the kind of things that interest me, you know, how things are made. So a lot of that is, you know, and music as well, and puzzles and anything that has to do with building things of any sort. You said engineering, what, and you don't have a mechanical engineering. What, what engineering degree do you have? I have a computer science degree, but before that, I, I have a minor in automotive engineering, actually. But it was more on the, on the technical side of things than, than the mechanical. So that was, that was kind of, yeah, my, my passion was I wanted to go into cars and racing and whatnot um, on the technical side. But it, it turned out that I was just a lot better at the digital side. It was getting to a point where um, I was studying the thing and 
I wasn't really liking the way that it was it was taught, and so I was trying to not like hate the thing that I loved. So then I just shifted over to computer science, so I could you know remain the other part as a hobby. Tell me about your career path up to this point. So, what different twists and turns has your career taken? I've tried very, very hard not to work for anyone. I think that that kind of clashes with that, you know, internal strife for just like for building stuff and and learning continuously. So I've I have worked in consulting, uh, IT, you know, services. Uh, I've worked in a media company as well as their systems um, architect and and in a radio station and stuff. But really, always in the back of my mind is when I'm working all these different industries, like. I see, I see little things that could be better. Let's say, while I was in college, actually, I had a, a music promotion company where I would help uh, young musical bands. I had, you know, connections with recording studios, so I would get them their first solo and then uh, sell them off to the record labels or get them their first single, let's say. And then I, I was in London, and I, I started out with a girlfriend at the time, and I, then I moved to London, and I had to kind of like. Put that on pause, and then in, in London, I, I went to do a, a master's there, and I had a branding agency. So completely different from you know my tech background, let's say, studying wise or the music part of the previous business. I had just like really random clients that, through life and meeting people, we we were able to uh, to work with, which was really cool. That that was like a, a few years ago, and during that time. I came up with the concept of caribou and have been developing that part for the last few years. So it seems like you have a, a, a broad set of experiences and you seem to be able to adapt to different business models, business types that you're working with, you know, in, into what you're doing with caribou now. Is it, would you say that's correct? Yeah. And I, th- I think that's the, the fun part of, of this whole process. One of the things that they say is, you know, that every day they're learning. It's really not for everyone. And, you know, obviously, I'm of the things I've done. I could be, you know, a, a video producer of like all the videos that I've built and and ran for ads or or promotion or uh, the designer. You know, when when we didn't have designer back in the team, you know, that was just me. And yeah, definitely of all the different industries. And that would be the one thing I enjoyed in consulting, where you work with different industries. You you get to be very creative about. Um, solving problems when you have a lot of different perspectives uh, accumulated. I also grew up, you know, around the world pretty much uh, from Madrid. My brother was born in Peru and we grew up in Mexico and then Miami and then Madrid and London. So just meeting different people from different parts of the world, I think really both, I think, planted the seed of this long distance communication for Caribou, uh, but also allowed me to, to think in different ways and how different cultures, you know, approach problems. Yeah, I think that has really shaped my, my progress. So tell me tell me how you got started with uh, Caribou. You, you said you were working on the idea. Tell me about the or- origination story. I was here at Imperial College um, studying this, this master's with a really cool name, um, Innovation, Entrepreneurship, and Management. The first part was all like MBA stuff, the, the management part of, you know, accounting, economics, et cetera. And essentially they're you know, we had the what's called the business uh, model competition for the masters, which we won. That we got some money, and then our our professors, um, for the first time I think ever in, in Imperial, we, they put us against the MBAs as well. We didn't win that technically. We tied for first because I don't think the masters can win an MBA. But we also won the prize money there, and and the the panel of of 
people which were you know industry experts and investors and whatnot basically said guys go out and build this because i cry all the time like i kind of need this so yeah so so basically um we got some money from from these early wins and in the in the core team there were um four of us guys and and there were, there were two girls as well um they had family businesses so immediately after graduating they they left back home the four of us kind of stuck together we had you know myself philip who was the designer that i was partner of uh on the branding company and then we had two other people that had worked uh, always you know kind of done stuff for themselves and we were scrappy so inside the core kind of group we had um let's say the core competences to to build something so we did we built a proof of concept and and uh, it was really cool like you know it was it was pretty pretty simple just we centered on one thing the first thing we did was we just figured out of all the things that we could do like what is the one thing that parents miss most uh, when they travel because that was kind of the, the initial the initial concept and it was books versus you know we could have gone and let's put videos and let's put games and let's put all these things so yeah, so we really focused on that and and that's kind of how the the concept was born how long did it take to build the uh, the initial prototype um like three months well i guess technically four months but it was ready at three months we basically thought about you know who this is for in the beginning it was only for for tablets because that was uh, not the best experience and we built it in a portrait mode um because we as we were mocking everything up we noticed that you know if a kid is holding the ipad horizontally in landscape they're going to cover the camera and it's it, it tends to be very heavy as well so we're like well obviously let's just put it the right way so you can see each other until we had to actually put books in it and talk to publishers and this was so we graduated in september in early december we started getting our first content and we started showing it off to to smaller uh you know uk publishers and they were like oh cool cool but our content is landscape so make it landscape <laughs> and we're like oh, okay but we're you know we're done with it now and they were like no no like you either put it in landscape or you don't have my content so that was one of the things where it's good to listen to to, to your users and do that part but you know if you're going to work with a supplier in our case a uh, content supplier like publishers you kind of depend on them too so so basically during during december we scrambled to to do like a pretty much a redesign of everything and and just shift everything to landscape and eventually on uh, january 14th was the first version that we launched what tools did you use to build that initial prototype what what type of tech did you use to make it happen yeah it was it was pretty bootstrap obviously i mean we had we had some prize money but it was just the three of us and that definitely didn't cover any salaries or anything um so you know we still had side gigs and and i still had the branding agency we definitely wanted to to be lean on that and and just kind of test the concept back in as a service company called parse and that that later got bought by facebook and then shut down by facebook essentially that allowed us to have a very free forever model where we had the database and you could also run uh, backend code serverless code which was very novel at the time in just one service essentially we could run authentication database uh, backend code and any integration with any any actually any node library so when we needed to connect to the to the video calling streaming service we just did it through there and then on the client side it was it was just you know standard tablet uh, iOS xcode on the on the product side iOS parse in the back end what were you using for the streaming video so at the time again there 
was pretty much just the one, which was OpenTalk or TalkBox. I'm not actually even sure which one is the company and which one is the service. Um, they were pretty much the only ones that were both production ready, but also had a lot of like really good features. And they, they were owned by Telefonica at the time. I think they've, they've been bought and sold a couple of times since then, but essentially the, the two key things that we needed, the, obviously the video streaming, we needed to make sure as well that the bandwidth was kind of taken care of and, and OpenTalk was very smart about that. So if you were slow internet, it would lower the bandwidth and, and eventually like it would even shut down the video and leave the audio just so that the connection isn't broken. Okay, so tell a little, you told me a little bit. So you, you moved from Parse to Firebase, but how else has the product progressed as, you, as you've worked and, and grown Caribou? How have you matured the product? I think, yeah, on the back end, we, you know, we kept it simple. It was, and when we moved it, it was, it was just Max and I. So um, it wasn't, it wasn't like, you know, we had a whole team to, to do a whole migration to a, a brand new like super system. So Pars was, was there and I actually had a friend working at Firebase at the time and he was telling me like, we are production ready now and like we're, you know, using pretty much just Google Cloud. And, and when we set it up, uh, that, that's pretty much how, how it works. Like it's Firebase, but it's really just like Firebase is kind of just like a UI for a Google Cloud instance. So it's just friendlier um, and a lot easier for, you know, the one person to manage. And so, yeah, we kept it, uh, you know, 100% serverless, all of our, you know, we don't have to worry about any servers, any maintenance, any uh, load balancing or anything like that, uh, which is great. And we can work with a single language. We can just work in JavaScript and, and we're good. So we followed that over to the client side as well. Last year, uh, when we did our larger seed seed race, we basically shifted the app into React Native. That allowed us not only to reach the goal of being on Android as well, but to to maintain that code sharing. So we're on on Android phones, Android and iOS phones and tablets right now, and we've set up continuous integration and and you know remote testing and all those things, which you know are leaps and bounds from what we had. I can I can definitely see the advantage from a team and single language technology basis uh, to have everything on JavaScript. Was there any pains or issues going from uh, native to React native? It was a uh, it was a pretty big decision. I I had been you know for a while uh, keeping up with with a system where um, I obviously didn't know how long it was going to be where I was going to be myself as the only engineer with Max, let's say. That part really interested me. And, you know, there's native script and there's React Native and uh, there's, there was Ionic and a bunch of different, like, different versions. And the way kind of I would test that is I would pretty much just like rebuild our, our website. So our website has gone from, you know, vanilla, uh, HTML, CSS, JavaScript to, I, I then rebuilt it in, in PHP. So I could learn the templating thing for a client we had. I was like, okay, let me just learn this now. And then I rebuilt it in Angular so that we could host it basically for free on, on Firebase. That's one of the cool things it has, yeah, it's free hosting. I mean, not free, but if you're just hosting like a, a landing page, it's free forever, essentially. So that was one of the things where, you know, if we wanted to be lean, I need, I need to build it in such a way that it is lean. So stopping any hosting for anything and then just run it on Firebase for free. So I rebuilt it on that. And, and through there, I learned about, you know, Ionic and, and hybrid apps and whatnot. Um, and eventually, you know, I did a, a ton of research and I saw that React Native, for the things that we were trying to do was, was like right at the moment where um, it would be viable for, 
for production. We also needed for them to catch up and offer, if not a, a native, a React native like library, you know, maintained by themselves and something similar or, you know, some sort of bridge that we could use as well. And that was that was very important, obviously, because our the app looks deceptively simple, but it's it's a bit of a beast. And now more so, obviously, with, with Android and all the things we've built. How do you build your roadmap? How do you and Max put your heads together and figure out this is the most important thing to do next? Now we are a team of six. Our first, our first hire was actually uh, um, our amazing designer, Tiffany. She came in a little bit earlier as we were ready to, to finalize the product. We launched around October, this, this version three, which is the React Native version. So we definitely, the first thing that we needed was, was design and just making sure that everything was, was up to like the brand and whatnot, because we, we changed like the brand completely visually. And, and now we have, we have another, well, we have the React Native engineer, our lead engineer, and we have a product manager. And so Kalman basically came in, our product manager, in, in January. And he's been instrumental in, in how we, we go from Alvaro writing things in a, on a whiteboard and, and Max saying like, oh, we should try this. And then I'm like, okay, cool, hold my beer. Let me, let me you know, give it a weekend and see what happens with it. Oh, you know, we're, we're working on two-week sprints. And we're still a small team, right? But, but now we have myself, product manager, developer, designer, and Max to, to kind of you know, work through these, to, through our roadmap, maybe Max and I on the business side, and, and I work with the other guys on the actual features, functionalities. Brought in weekly uh, ICE meetings. So essentially we come in and we, we propose, you know, changes. And the one rule is that we can't propose anything if, if we don't have data to prove it or, or some sort of investigation done where, you know, we can't, we can't come in and be like, oh, it would be cool if we did this. And it's like, okay, cool, you think so, but like, show me, you know, someone else that's doing it or show me it's been successful. You know, that kind of like mechanics so that we make sure that we only, we don't waste our time and that and that the things that we do try are because they have a high chance of, of working. So the size meetings, it's impact, confidence and, and effort. And, and then we basically just score them every week and we, we run into week sprints, releases, and then we, we green light um, some of the items and, and, and the circle, you know, runs again. And, and then on Mondays we have a retrospective meeting, just looking at you know what we did the week before and and where the things that we greenlit, you know how we are on them. And because we are a fully distributed, except for Max and I that are in Miami, but uh, everyone else were were fully distributed. So I think one of the best things that Kalman did as well is you know set up these this dynamic, the same dynamic uh, where everyone is is separate, but we are always you know on top of everything and, and we are always in constant communication and we work as if we were in the same team. I'm interested. How did you go about building your team? Early hires in a startup are critical because team culture is absolutely important for startup success. How did you go about picking the individuals for your team and what characteristics did you look for? So I worked with an amazing developer and, and together we, we kind of built this thing for, took us like about like five months or something. And we, we basically rebuilt it from scratch. So I think that was that was pretty good on that. And so what we thought was things we shouldn't be doing and things I shouldn't be doing, let's say, is designing everything, everything from, you know, email templates to if we're running Facebook ads to, you know, user interface, uh, literally everything needs to be designed. So we were like, OK, definitely need a, a designer and someone that knows about it and and like branding and stuff. Let's go with the head of design. And then the other thing that we need is we need to grow. 
and we need to figure out creative ways to to reach our demographic whatnot. So we were like, okay, we need two people, a head of design and a head of growth. Our head of design, Tiffany, so we worked with with this um, head of growth and basically figured out with with the new release didn't go as expected obviously and we had to spend a lot of time you know on, on maintaining the product and and working out some kinks because it was a you know from scratch built so what we figured is let's let's you know let's take a step back we are funded we have you know we have broad runway let's take a step back and just you know focus on the product for a little bit and so that shifted into into now we need to grow on the product side. Uh, so we need an engineer. Uh, he came in the second person. So he came in early December. So again, let's just focus on product. And then uh, we brought in Common January, who is a product manager. Those those three people were basically, you know, today forms the product team and are 100% focused on that. And that's what we have been doing for the past you know, a few months in January of let's, you know, narrow down exactly on the product. Let's do product market fit surveys. Let's do, you know, everything around the product. And culture for sure has been, has been fundamental. And I think the team that we built are like, we always said rock stars and, and they really are, but they're, they're also just amazing people. Early on, we did a, in February, we did our first team retreat after kind of, that was the core team and we weren't really looking to hire anymore. And it was just amazing to, to meet everyone and, you know, hang out, but also, you know, figure out, okay, now we have a team, like, where do we go? Yeah, we've been, we've been incredibly lucky with, with the people that we found. Obviously, you know, we took time to, to carefully bring people in and, you know, Max's philosophy is hire slow, fire fast, which, which I agree with, you know, it's, they're going to be, you're going to be working with them, especially in a startup, you know, almost 24-7 and in, in a small team of five people. Uh, if one, you know, or two are, are, are not in the mindset or something, then that, you know, that may very well break your company. First hires are, are crucial and culture as well. Tell me about how you're, how you're factoring in scaling. Um, so you've got a bigger team now. Um, you've got a head of growth that is pushing exposure and uh, traction of usage in the product how how does that translate to how you scale the technology um so one of the interesting things that we we kind of found out when we you know at the beginning of the year we were like let's let's go back to step one let's figure out first of all you know who is this for and and that's that's a question that gets asked kind of like couple times in the beginning and then, then really gets lost and I, I would highly recommend uh, teams to, to kind of do this almost on a quarterly basis. So we we ran this what's called like a product market fit series of surveys and, and find out that uh, while you know one of the things that we were one of the people we were targeting is you know traveling parents and whatnot the people that were actually paying us were the grandparents. They wanted they were the one kind of driving the the relationship and they wanted to keep you know, the relationship with the grandkids and whatnot. So yeah, that kind of shifted. We're like, okay, let's because we're in this, you know, very you know scrappy and and very you know focused mindset about looking back. Let's let's focus entirely for the next like quarter on just building it for grandma. What we call glamas, which are you know fifty to sixty fives. You know, they're a group of people that you know have have a bit more time than the parents. They definitely have a lot more money and have you know the motivation to to 
really keep connected with the grandkids. So that's what I mean by grandparents. Not, you know, we're not talking like 90 year olds. She's specific, like my mom is a grandma, let's say, and she's not 90. And, you know, she uses it with my, you know, with my three-year-old niece all the time. So, so as we do that, you know, that kind of, it, it shifts a bit the roadmap, you know, like now we, now we have to focus on, on how to work. Before it was, you know, kids and parents. So the app is very, it's very, you know, kid designed. Obviously, if the kid isn't interested or, or isn't engaged by the content or the design, then, then we, we lose the entire family. So we do have to play with both sides. And I think on the scaling side, yeah, you know, offering, offering things that, that the um, younger grandparents would, would find useful. Um, definitely, you know, shifted our, our, our feature roadmap a little bit. Now we're looking at, at some things that, that we weren't really prepared for. But the good thing is that, I mean, the cloud is, is extremely flexible. So we're, we're dealing with that now. And, and, and that's one of the trickier things, I think, for any early stage, I'm not even gonna say company, just concept or anything that you're building, is figuring out how it's going to be used in the future. So, you know, how to structure everything so that it will allow for, for future change or future use of, for something different than than what it was intended. I'm very, very particular about naming things because I know um, that, you know, we, you can start, don't call everything a book if you may have, you know, videos or, or, or activities or, you know, whatever, or games. And so like the entire, you know, architecture of the system is based on books, but then you can't actually, you know, put anything else is going to be a huge migration issue. So just little things like that, just making sure that when you, when you set up the structure, you have you have room so that if if something changes in in the content or in the way that you have to access that and you know we're we're working a lot with with dynamic recommendation of content now and and that has to have a very specific structure if we want to think about um, not even with our demographic but just even in the future looking at ourselves as you know sort of content platform just look at netflix and say okay we want to we want to do stuff that they're doing how do we how do we set ourselves up so that you know eventually as our team grows we're able to offer you know the level of recommendation that you know Netflix or, or Spotify has and so we have to think you know maybe years ahead but we have to do that now otherwise you know when we set about doing it we're going to spend a good amount of time just you know refactoring a bunch of stuff if we want to grow in platforms and in audience we have to design for that so tell me about tell me about a mistake that um you guys made early on or are making now and how did you and the team react to it? Yeah, I mean, the first one I talked about, you know, thinking about our customers, but forgetting completely about the people, about the our suppliers, let's say. So, you know, I talked about building in a portrait, but then the content was in landscape, so we had to like shift. That was definitely a mistake and, and um, we never did that again. We, you know, when we, you know, changed UI and stuff, we definitely worked with our, our content providers. I think another mistake that is, I don't know if, if directly caused, but basically, you know, took us to the point that where we had to, this year, go back to that square one and rethink, who are we, what, what are we for, etc. is we were trying to build for everyone. And this particularly for us. And if you think like, once you see, once you see Caribou, like working or just, you know, go on your website and see how, what it looks like, you get into this, this thing of like, oh, there's traveling parents, uh, there's, you know, separated families, there's, you know, children's hospitals. Um, and you start going into all of these things where, you know, there's you know, just family members like myself and my, my three-year-old niece. 
and you go down kind of the rabbit hole and you try to build be everything for everyone and that was definitely a mistake i think in in our focus but, you know primarily because you have a certain you know budget for promoting this thing and trying to get it out to the world and and then like who who do you promote it to right do you do you do you know facebook ads for or do you run you know arp ads or do you run on on airports or whatever so you start throwing spaghetti at the wall essentially and and that takes up a lot of time and money so definitely um, it helped us to to just you know grab our most valuable user and and focus on them what does the future look like for caribou and for for your team i'm really excited so our 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 one of the things we did in our retreat was um, you know as a team now Max and I figure out, you know, what's our mission and vision. We talked about it would be really cool. You know, like visions are these really awesome sentences that we kind of have a poster of. But we're, we essentially want to be the communications platform that kids don't run away from, basically, or that kids run to. And this is kind of key, right? Like we, we could make the greatest product program, but if the kid is not interested, then that's kind of that's it. And so... While we are, you know, building for for ease of use of the parent or grandparent, we're spending a ton of time on what could we do to keep the kids engaged. I don't know if you've ever had a video call with like a two or three year old, but you, you can't really like interrogate a two year old. There's only so much you can talk about and they get bored immediately and they like, just run away. So we've been working a lot with, you know, activity sheets. You have the real time kind of book, and turn pages and pointer and whatnot. But we also, you know, have this drawing feature where you're drawing in real time, both sides and, and racing. And, and we built a, a lot of really cool um, different activities for kids. And, and we've seen pretty much the greatest increase in engagement and retention from this type of content. And it makes sense, right? Like now calls, you know, have multiplied in length because not only are we working obviously on stability and memory performance, so the calls are, are, are better, but the, the content itself is engaging. And this is far and wide a completely different experience than like Skyping a kid. We're, we're moving a lot towards, you know, how do we make that? How do we make it the most valuable? Just generally in the family, right? You know, how do we engage the kids? How do we, you know, help, help even grandparents that maybe they live away and, and they don't see a lot of people. You know, we also want to keep both on the literacy side with the books and the kids growing up. That's that's definitely on our mission. And then as well, help with, with loneliness on the grandparent side, help with activity. Um, we're, we're working on some, you know, you know, you leave your iPad on the table and you like jump around and do some silly stuff. Um, there's a lot of stuff we can do with, uh, with AR that we could implement, you know, really quickly. Um, there's there's a ton of, you know, like the Snapchat lenses and whatnot. There's a lot of really cool things that we can do around making the most, like the funnest video call or, you know, cross-generational communication uh, in families. Name an architect or CTO or tech person, or even if they're not related to tech at all, um, someone you look up to and why. Yeah, I think I'm going to go basic on this one with Musk. I think Elon Musk has that that kind of that kind of brain which is which finds this and I, I you know we're obviously on completely different levels but um, I, I relate to him in that he he finds a problem that you know humans have been putting up with just like you know holding up a book to a laptop which is just unnecessary and he's like well I can think of a solution. He happens to be a billionaire, so he can execute on that. He he has that thing of like, why are we putting up with these things when it could, you know, life could be so much better? Let me think about how I can solve this. 
and obviously you know there's there's economical factor for it but there's so much more about just for the greater good type scenario i don't know if you saw the the neuralink uh keynote but i remember reading before it was presented that oh it's it's basically like you know like not, not kind of the matrix but like minority report maybe and the entire entire application for the near future is you know how to help people with parkinson's how to help people with motor disabilities and this is something these are solvable problems that no one has really you know dared enough to to think about um and so i, I really admire him for that if you could go back to the beginning of caribou um what would you do differently or what would you consider taking another approach on um i think i think definitely you know going back to um being everyone everything for everyone i think focus we really struggle to to find focus and i i, I guess when you're you know we were bootstrapped for a bit we you know you're, you're trying everything but i would have really because uh, we you know we spent well over a year you know going around and trying to do everything i think the lack of focus hurt us a lot um i think if we if we had been more more specific about what we were building and who it was for we would have had uh we would have had a greater earlier growth um i think for someone who's just starting down this road of a startup or has an idea um as a tech person what advice would you give them um, that you wish you would have known definitely figure out if if what you're building like what what's the actual if there's a pain point there's you know the market size but i don't think there's anything you know wrong with building what's you know called a lifestyle lifestyle company if you build something and there's a small you know market and and but you know people really use it and people you know changes their lives um that's enough you know motivation for someone if you're if you're going to entrepreneurship to be a billionaire then that's you know that's a different path but definitely and and it echoes you know the, the the issue about focus as well it's it's just try to figure out the one thing the one thing that is is the actual pain point and and don't get bogged down on on the cool stuff that you could build the cool features and the, because it generally like if you're building something that that you are the user of you're going to be building it mostly for yourself and the vast majority of the companies are kind of for that um at least on the on the tech startup side obviously the one thing that was interesting for us is that I mean we we neither Max or I had kids we were not obviously grandparents either so we were building something that we ourselves are not the users and that really forced us to to strive for that to learn everything we could about who we're building it for and why it's valuable for people I think that's that's one of our successes is being able to to extract ourselves a little bit from what we were building so that we could see it from the outside based on data and research and whatnot If you if you you know hunker down and you build something that that you would like your first version is going to suck because you haven't listened to what people actually want to do. How can people support Caribou moving forward? How can they reach out and support you and the team? Well, right now currently we do have a a WeFunder campaign and and this is something that kind of follows with our our mentality of, you know, bringing people in and and we had a a pretty good community of people that that really helped us when we were just two people and and so we wanted to open this up for all those people that couldn't really get on on our on our cap table now for uh for different reasons and they really wanted to participate but also a lot of a lot of our customers and users where one of the largest drivers of of the entire team is we get these beautiful messages and and emails and calls 
you know, families that this has really kind of changed the dynamic that they have and, and has really brought them closer together. Uh, so we wanted to open it for them as well to be part of the Caribou family. So we have that, you know, we just opened that up in, in June and we have about a month and a bit. So on WeFunder, Caribou should be featured. You know, any any sort of partnerships with, you know, we're working with a military foundation or we want to work with, you know, companies like the ARP or something like that. Any sort of partnership that that, that would make sense and, and, you know, it doesn't have to be scalable. It just has to be interesting and it has to reach people with, with a real pain point. Well, Alvaro, thank you for being on the Code Story podcast. Really appreciate your time and uh, you telling your story today. Thank you. It was fun. And this concludes another chapter of Code Story. Code Story is a production of TouchTap LLC and is hosted and produced by Noah Laphart, co-produced and edited by George Macharco. Special thanks to Deanna Chapman and Stephanie Campisi for their promotional support. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Breaker, or the podcasting app of your choice. Make sure to check us out at codestory.co or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn.